You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading is a little walk through the scriptures in connection with Lord's Day 31, question and answer 83 and 84. Lord's Day 31 is about the kingdom of heaven. I picked Exodus 19, the verses 4 to 6, to show you from the scriptures that in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were the messengers of the kingdom of heaven. God has delivered his people out of Egypt and he brought them to Mount Sinai. He is about to give them the Ten Commandments, but before he does, he speaks these words. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Let's move on to Mark chapter 1. Because the people of Israel did a very poor job in bringing the kingdom of heaven near, in the Old Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ had to come and he had to embody the kingdom and bring it near. The verses 14 and 15, after John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Let's go to 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. You'll notice that here we have a quotation from the Old Testament, which clearly indicates that the church is the continuation of the church in the Old Testament. And as Israel in the Old Testament was to be a bearer of the kingdom of heaven, so too the church in the New Testament is to be the same. Verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's go to Matthew 6, verse 33. There you notice that the kingdom of heaven has a certain lifestyle called the righteousness of the kingdom, which means the right relatedness of the kingdom. And that is what the church is to seek, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Then we go to Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. That passage speaks about the gospel being the righteousness of God. And that is the same thing as the righteousness of the kingdom. So the gospel is all about the kingdom of God and the righteousness of the kingdom of God. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentiles. For in the gospel... And then it says a righteousness from God is revealed. It should be, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, 
a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Then we go to chapter 12, verse 2. Why did the church in the Old Testament do such a poor job in embodying the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? That had to do with its mind. Something in our inner being that is meant to receive the signals of the kingdom of heaven. And so that mind needs to be renewed. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your noticer. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The text for this afternoon is the Word of our God as the church has summarized that for us in Lord's Day 31, the question and answers 83 and 84. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven, the preaching of the Holy Gospel and church discipline? By these two, the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and closed to unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and closed by the preaching of the gospel? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all of their sins for the sake of Christ's merit, as often as they by true faith accept the promise of the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, some time ago I came across a poem in a book. It was written by a lady who had come to the Christian faith through the ministry of the church. Before she was a Christian, she had experienced a lot of disillusionment and suffered a lot because of the brokenness of the world in which she lived. Now that she had become a Christian, she wanted to thank the church for being messengers of hope for her and for others. And she wanted to encourage the church to continue to be messengers of hope in a broken world. And she articulated her desire in the following way. She wrote, Do you know, do you understand that you represent Jesus to me? Do you know, do you understand that when you treat me with gentleness, it raises the question in my mind that maybe he is gentle too. Maybe he isn't someone who laughs when I'm hurt. Do you know, do you understand that when you listen to my questions and you don't laugh, 
I think, what if Jesus is interested in me too? If you care, she wrote, I think maybe he cares. And then there's this flame of hope that burns inside of me. And for a while, I'm afraid to breathe because it just might go out. Do you know, do you understand that your words are His words? Your face, His face to someone like me. Please be who you are. Please, God, don't let this be another trick. Please let this be real. Do you know, do you understand that you represent Jesus to me? Do you? Do I? The context of this letter clearly indicates that we live in a world that is in dire need of hope. Because this world is decaying and falling apart because of its rebellion against God and its addiction to sin. And so when someone comes out of that kind of a world into the church and sees a sign of hope in the church, such a person wants to hang on to that hope. Like trying to hang on to a little flame of hope. And she's afraid to breathe because it just might be too good to be true. Maybe tomorrow the hope will be gone. Yes, the church is God's hope for the world because the church is the bearer of the spirit of hope. Already in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were the bearer of the spirit of hope. As we read together in Exodus 19, the verses 4 to 6, the people of Israel were a kingdom of priests, and God had dispensed His Holy Spirit, the spirit of hope, to his congregation in the Old Testament. The office bearers in this congregation being the primary recipients and bearers of the Spirit, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And as such, God's Old Testament church was the salt of the world in a world that was also decaying and falling apart because of its rebellion against God and its addiction to sin. When you look through the Old Testament, such a sad story. 
God's people continually grieved the Holy Spirit. They didn't walk in the Spirit. They didn't sow to the Spirit. They didn't pray in the Spirit. They didn't listen to the Spirit. And so as bearers of the Spirit of hope, meant to embody the kingdom of heaven in a decaying world, the kingdom of heaven was not opened. The kingdom of heaven was not embodied by the people as a whole. And so the world around the people of Israel missed the hope of the coming kingdom of God. And the people of Israel were like salt that had lost its flavor. And salt that has lost its flavor is no good but to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. And that's what happened. The people of Israel were thrown out of the promised land and trodden underfoot by the pagans. That's why Jesus had to come. Jesus represents his church. Jesus is like the church, the whole embodiment of the church. And Jesus comes to announce the coming kingdom of God. His preaching and his ministry is all about the coming of the kingdom. He says the time is fulfilled. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not here yet. It's still in heaven, but it's right behind the curtain, as it were. But it's almost here. Because I'm here. I'm the embodiment of the kingdom of heaven in person. And Jesus could be that. Because Jesus was the bearer of the spirit of hope. At the inauguration of his public ministry, the spirit came down from heaven in the form of a dove and anointed and equipped the Lord Jesus Christ for his mission, his ministry of hope. And the Father was heard saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Israel used to be my beloved Son, and I used to be well pleased in Israel. But their salt had lost its flavor and they were trodden underfoot by men. You are now my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Now people, all of you who are watching Jesus being baptized and seeing all of this with your own eyes, listen to him and do what he tells you to do. And Jesus he himself listened to the Spirit. He walked in the Spirit. He kept in step with the Spirit. He sowed to the Spirit. He prayed in the Spirit. It is my food and drink, he says to the people 
to do the will of my heavenly Father. Not my will be done, he says, but your will be done. While God's Son in the Old Testament always said, our will be done, not your will be done. It wasn't their food and drink to eat and to do the will of their heavenly Father. But it was Jesus' will. And as such, Jesus was a messenger of hope in Israel at that time. Jesus was the embodiment of what it meant to be the salt of the earth. Jesus' person, Jesus' words, Jesus' actions, they worked like salt in preventing decay, the decay of a society that was falling apart because of its rebellion against God and its addiction to sin. But Jesus went back to heaven. But before he did, he said to his church, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then he he breathed on them and he said, Receive my spirit. A little sign of what was going to happen on the day of Pentecost. As Jesus had been the bearer of the spirit of hope, so now his church is the bearer of the spirit of hope. By proclaiming a message of hope in this fallen world, by walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, having the mind of the Spirit, and so forth. By doing all of that and more, the church is a manifestation of the kingdom of hope. It brings this kingdom of hope near, just like Jesus brought the kingdom of hope near. And just as Jesus opened the doors of this kingdom, so the church opens the doors of the kingdom of heaven as well. And the church does that by pointing to Jesus, the king of the kingdom. The church points to Jesus in its preaching. When the office bearers preach, when ministers preach, they're always pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the only hope, the only light in the darkness, the only wholeness in the brokenness of this world. And unofficially, every member of the church also preaches the gospel. As the second part of Lord's Day 31 clearly says, when it talks about the key of church discipline, and it begins with Matthew 18, to the members of the church, they confront one another with the preaching, and in doing so, they are opening and closing the kingdom. Like the consistory, I hate to use this analogy, but consistory is like a policeman. They, they can enforce it. 
But you people can't enforce it. You don't have that office. But just like you can tell someone else you shouldn't be speeding, so you can tell someone else about the kingdom. And a policeman can tell someone, hey, you spent, and I'm going to give you a ticket. You see, that? there's the difference. But it's not like only the office bearers administer the keys. We all administer the keys. We all open the kingdom with the Word of God, either in an official way or an unofficial way. And now get rid of that metaphor of the policeman because they're not like policemen. That's an awful metaphor for an office bearer. But I needed it for a minute to make my point clear. So the church does it officially and unofficially through the preaching. And the parents do it in their homes when they raise their children. That's the most glorious task of parenting is bringing the kingdom of heaven near to your children. And Burke and Marianne, that is your most glorious task is to bring the kingdom of heaven near in the words that you speak to little Jacob Daniel. Isn't that wonderful? You are a messenger of hope in a broken world. Now, little Jacob is growing up in a broken world. He's going to wonder, where is the hope in the brokenness of this world? Where is the light in the darkness? You as a parent, you administer the keys. You tell Jacob about Jesus, the King of the kingdom. But the church doesn't just do it through the preaching, either officially or unofficially. The church also does it through its walk of life. The church's lifestyle is like one big sermon like one big CD that sounds forth the music of the kingdom in the brokenness of this world. There's all sorts of sad songs out there singing about the brokenness of life and the effects of the brokenness of life. And when I grew up, there was a song, How many roads you know, must a man walk down? And how many this, and how many that. And then the refrain, the answer, my friend, yeah, is blowing in the wind. See, there is no answer. The people who live in the brokenness of the world and the darkness of the world, they have no answer to the brokenness and the darkness. But the church sounds forth the music in the darkness and the brokenness of the world. And it says, there is an answer, my friend. And the answer lies in Jesus, the King of the kingdom and the head of the church. Jesus, joy of man's desiring. That's what the church sings. That's what the church embodies with its lifestyle. In this way, the church is a messenger of hope. God's hope in a broken world. In this way, the church is the salt of the world that combats the deterioration and decay 
of a world addicted to sin because of its rebellion against God. What if the people don't notice? Yeah, that's possible. They may not notice. But what if we don't notice? Right? What if we don't notice? Well, Jesus said when He came in Galilee, the time is fulfilled. Repent and believe. See, if you don't notice, you have to repent so that you can notice. And only when you repent can you also believe. And the Greek uses an interesting word for repentance. It's called metanoia. Noia from nous, which is your mind. And meta, you do it again. Or you change. You change your mind. That's what you have to do. And Romans 12, verse 2, speaks about do not be conformed unto the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Also the nous, N-O-U-S. Be transformed by the renewal of your nous. And the Bible translates that with mind all the time. And when you hear the word mind, you right away think of the thinking mind. The mind that is rationalizing and saying one plus one is two and so forth. The mind that schemes and the mind that makes plans. The minds that puts things together so that you have a coherent sermon. That's what you think about when you hear the word mind. But first and foremost, the mind is a noticer. That's what the word noose means. It's the noticing mind. And all the rest follows. All the thinking and rationalizing that you do is a reaction to what you've noticed. And all the feelings you get are feelings that are reactions to what you've noticed. What you're noosed, your noticer has noticed. You see, your noticer, your noose is like like the receiver in a radio that can receive all sorts of signals. And then it sends the signals out in music and words. Or your noose is like a big satellite dish that picks up what it has to pick and then it makes your TV function the way it's supposed to function, right? See, that, that is your noticer. See, and once your noticer has, has received these things, then it begins to think. See? It's the mind, the thinking mind. Then it begins to feel your feelings. And it begins to will. And the will is your mind acting upon your feelings, right? You feel something, you think about it, and then you want to do it. See? But first you have this big satellite dish that receives. And now when the church preaches the message of the kingdom, when Jesus preached the message of the kingdom, He was always aiming at that satellite dish, that receiver, so that the church could sing and broadcast the music of the kingdom. It had to first receive. Also, the unofficial preaching is always aimed at the satellite dish, the noticer. We do that in our schools. 
We have Christian schools. Credo schools. I believe in the kingdom. And so the teachers and the students together, you know, what they teach is aimed at the noticer. Because that noticer goes all over the place. And it's focused on all sorts of places. And see, and the teachers are trying to get this noticer to be aimed at God, at Jesus, so that they can interpret literature and history and all the other subjects in a Christian manner. And they can see the hand of the king of the kingdom in all the things that they learn. And their whole lives can be transformed as they go out into the world, into higher education, as people, as students who have their satellite dish, their noticing mind focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the parents do that too. When they speak with their children about the kingdom of heaven, they're not just talking to a body, talking to a human being that has a satellite dish, has a receiver, has a noticing mind, has a noose. And you, Burke, and Marianne, when you speak with Jacob, you're aiming at that satellite dish. And that satellite dish goes all over the place. You know that. Especially with little kids. They, you know, the attention goes all over the place. And they can't focus their, their noose. Their satellite dish. And so you have to try to get Jacob's attention. And you got his attention. You speak to him about the King of the Kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ. So that Jacob can sound forth the music of the Kingdom that he has received with his noticer. But because we're conceived and born in sin, we heard that in the form as well. Little Jacob was conceived and born in sin too. And he can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. That's what it said. That's what Jesus said too. You can't enter the kingdom unless you're born again. He says you can't even see the kingdom. Like you can't even notice the kingdom unless you're born again. And so this noticer, this satellite dish, is totally corrupt. Really. It's just so sinful. And because it's so sinful, it's so sick. It's really sick. It's, it's, it's actually catching up all the, all the signals from the realm of darkness, from the realm of brokenness. If you ever wonder why we transmit such ugly music, we don't transmit the beautiful whole music of the kingdom, that's because our noticer is picking up the wrong signals. It's not picking up the signals of the kingdom of heaven. And so when the preaching through the preaching of the kingdom of heaven. That's meant to to heal the noticer. Because the preaching of the kingdom of heaven is the bearer of the spirit of the kingdom of heaven. The bearer of the spirit of hope. And only by a mighty act of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of hope, can this noticer be cleansed 
cleaned, changed, moved from one way over to the other way. Instead of focusing on the world that lives in rebellion against God, instead of focusing on the devil unwittingly, over to the Lord Jesus Christ so that the noticer can pick up the wholesome, beautiful sound waves of the Lord Jesus Christ and can become like the Lord Jesus Christ. See, your thinking is a reaction to what you've received. So when you receive the message from the Lord Jesus Christ through the preaching, officially and unofficially, then you begin to react. Then you begin to think. Your noose begins to think. And you begin to feel. You have emotions about Jesus. You think, this is great. That's why a song like Jesus, Joy of Man, Desiring, was composed. Because Bach's noticer had picked up the beauty of Jesus. And he began to think about it. And he had feelings about it. And then his mind acted upon his feelings, and he got up and he wrote the song, Jesus, Joy of Man's Desiring. You know, when your noticer is changed, your noticing mind is changed. See, then the kingdom is opened up. Then you're born again. And you keep being born again. Daily repentance and conversion. Then you begin to believe. And, and you begin to see things that you otherwise don't see. Your eyes are opened. And you have a new way of noticing. A new way of thinking. A new way of acting. Your eyes are opened. And you know what? You see Jesus. You see that you are joined to Jesus. Just like a branch is joined to a vine. That's why John Newton composed that beautiful song, Amazing Grace. I once was blind, he said. But now I can see. See, Faith is a new way of seeing. A new way of knowing. And when you see Jesus, and all of a sudden you see that, wow, I have forgiveness. All those times that my noticer was turned the wrong way, and I thought those bad things, I felt those bad things, and I I did all of that sinful stuff. Now that I see Jesus, joy of my desiring, I see that there's forgiveness, that the wrath of God does not rest upon me anymore but that through Jesus I have grace. You not only see that you have forgiveness in Jesus, you also see that Jesus is a source of new life. Jesus is full of grace. And John says so beautifully in chapter 1, from His fullness we have received one wave of grace after the other. And that's what you see. That's what you experience when you're a noticer. Your noticing mind, your noticing noose is focused on Jesus. I don't have to do this on my own. 
I can't do this on my own. The Lord Jesus Christ will fill me with an artesian well that just bubbles up with water. Boom, boom, boom. And the water just keeps coming. And not only for myself, the water also flows in me, first of all, but also flows from me into the lives of others. And you, as you sound forth the music of the kingdom, you just, you just water. You just water. You put water in the, in, in the desert of this broken world. Just a barren desert. And you begin to water this desert because you begin to become a garden of Eden. The river of the water of life is just flowing in you and from you. You know why that's the case? You know why you see differently? Because you have the noticer of Christ. You know how the Bible speaks about that? We have the mind of Christ. And that's what you get. You get the noticer of Jesus. And you notice what he notices. And you do what he does. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.